Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I am Erin, an intermediate school librarian. Today, I'm going to be discussing Birdie and Me by J.M.M. Nuanez, and I'm also going to briefly mention Snapdragon by Cat Lay. My name is Laura gladney Lemon, and I'm a high school librarian. Today, I'm going to be talking about Admission uh, by Julie Buxbaum. Hey, I'm Darcy Burrows. I'm an intermediate librarian, and I will be discussing Tigers, Not Daughters by Samantha Mabry. I'm Shirley, a high school librarian. I will be talking about Your One and Only by Adrienne Finley. Hi, I'm Mindy and a high school librarian, and I'm going to talk about Beyond the Mapped Stars by Rosalind Eves. Hey, Mindy, before we get or before Laura starts talking about her book, um, I read Love A to Z after yeah. editing our last podcast. Yeah. yeah, it was so cute. I really liked I thought it. it was cute, too. Yeah, it was it was just a good little clean love story. Yes, um, and I often don't like cute, but it was it was a good cute. <laughs> but there was. It wasn't just cute. Like they were also trying to make some serious changes in their worlds. And but the love story part was cute. But the other part was kind of awesome. So anyway, I read it. I just want to let you know. Thank you. All right. So this is Laura. And like I said, I'm talking about the book Admission by Julie Buxbaum. I looked at it on Goodreads this morning. I mean, I actually did read the book over the weekend. But then I looked at the Goodreads review this morning. It has a 3.6 star. And I think that's about right. I liked it. There was a lot of really good and interesting things. And then I also maybe had some problems with it too. So here's what I really, really liked. I really liked, and this is a second time recently I have read a book that it was ripped from the headline. So this is obviously based on the 2019 Varsity Blues admission scandal where Aunt Becky, I'm not sure what her real name is, but Aunt Becky. It, her um, name is Aunt Becky. Okay. Well, Everyone Aunt Becky that. paid uh, like half a million dollars to get her child admitted into SEC. So even though all of the characters uh, are made up and this is a fictionalized account, this is very clearly based on this storyline. But what I like about it, like I was saying, it's a second book that I've read where it's from a perspective that's totally different. So like somebody involved in the crime, but it's not the perpetrator of the crime. So I earlier this year read Tiffany D. Jack Jackson's Grown, or maybe that was last year. Mm -hmm. And that was like the R. Kelly story, but from the girl's point of view. This is right. similar because it is the admission scandal, but it's from the kids or the teenagers point of view. But what was interesting is they weren't a co-conspirator. They didn't really even know what was going on. I think that's really interesting to read about the headlines and think about it from a whole different perspective than I think what is the natural way position to think about it. So I definitely did really like that. What else I really liked about it was that it went from the time telling of it, it went from past to present, past to present, past to present. Um, and I think she did a really good job putting the story together that way. In addition to, you know, telling the story of an admission scandal from the point of view of a girl who didn't really know what was happening. There is a good love story in this book and then a great solid friendship that goes through some really challenging times after the admission scandal breaks because her best friend is Shola, 
uh, who's a Nigerian American uh, girl that's on scholarship to the very expensive prep school that they're at. So um, there was definitely friend problems. There was definitely love interest. And it's just, you know, an interesting story. All of that said, I don't know how believable I actually think this character is because she took on a lot of ownership of, you know, the realities of the world, like privilege and. um, Okay. Like she was really like aware well, yes. And to, to her friend's credit, she had been aware to some degree before. So like she knew what white privilege was and her friend had told her to get that in check before the admission scandal broke. But afterwards, I mean, she really, truly feels guilt and bad. And honestly, I don't know that. I mean, I get that she's a part of a problem that people with privilege often take more than their fair share, but she didn't do it. You know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe I'm just letting her off the hook too easy. Um, and maybe she should feel as bad as she does. Have but- you read any of Julie Buxbaum's other books? No, because I read tell me three things it's got a white cover and I think there's like waffles in the front of it and it's heart shaped. Anyway, it was really good and I really liked it. But even for a realistic fiction book, I felt like I had to do some suspending of my disbelief to be like, oh, yeah, OK, well, this story would actually happen if I pretend like this certain thing would happen in real life, you know, right. which is interesting because, you know, we have to do a lot of suspending of our disbelief in like sci-fi and fantasy and certain things like that. But maybe with her writing style, you kind of have to, I don't know. I, I did feel That's like that. Yeah. And again, um, I really like the book, but it's like, okay, well, you have to kind of pretend like this situation would happen. Cause I think right. admission, I'm, I think I'm waiting in line for it from the public library. Well, so you might get it soon because I the, just got it. Sorry, I'm sorry, Laura, go ahead. I was just going to say, you might get it soon because I just got done with it. I watched the interview from Aunt Becky's daughter. I think her name's Olivia. I could totally be messing that up. Anyway, um, so, you know, it's not just Aunt Becky, but it, her father is also like a very prominent designer. And um, I think he makes gosh, I don't want to mess any of this up. Massimo, maybe. Anyway, I watched the video on the round table talk with Jada Pinkett Smith and like her mom and her daughter. And she was talking about privilege and she was talking about how she really didn't know. And she also was talking about, because she did a, um, she had like a big TikTok account and maybe like kind of vlogging kind of thing. And so she's she was posting videos where she acted like she wasn't even that didn't care that much about school and that kind of stuff, which really set people off because obviously she didn't get in there from her own merit, you know, and and they were really questioning her. Like, did you really not know? Right. And she she claims that she really didn't know. And then I also read about Felicity Huffman's daughters um, and she helped one of her daughters get into school. You know, she went to to prison for that as well or jail. Her daughter had no idea 
and was completely flabbergasted and was so upset because she thought that her mom didn't believe in her basically because and that was of, a big part of the storyline to this, yeah. you know, she was like, you know, I'm dumb. They think I'm an idiot. Right. So um, one thing that I really think that this book did hit the nail on the head with um, a couple of different occasions is that relationship between kid and parent and where kids are living so much of their lives to please their parents, whether it's what they actually want or not. And the other thing that I think this book definitely did hit on the head was that the concept that I can't remember what I was going to say. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going with Darcy. Sorry. Oh, no, I don't. I mean, I just I think the dynamic with the parents is is interesting. And I think not only is it uh, wanting to please our parents, but I think also parents trying to create opportunities, even when the kids don't necessarily want them. I think it's just an idea of what you want or what you should want or your next step that you ought to take versus what that kid is really interested in. And I still think there's a lot of pressure for going to a four-year school and to do that straight out of high school. And especially if your parents are successful, then that's the role that you're supposed, or that's the road that you're supposed to take. And I think that there's pressure both ways, you know, from kids and from parents really to do that particular, like that particular road to success. Lastly, there's one really uh, thing I did really like about this book because it cleared up some questions for me in that I was just thought like this happens. Like I didn't know that like you could like do all this weird donate and then we're going to pretend like you're an athlete. I didn't know about all that, but I was just like, well, obviously rich kids get into schools. Their parents just like are big donors. Like, duh. Yeah. So like I was kind of surprised by the fact that this whole big scheme even happened. I'm like, of course, rich people get in. Like, why? that's not even a secret, right? And one thing they did explain to me in this book is there's a difference between being movie star rich and buying a building uh, on a campus rich and being that kind, that level of a donor. You know, they spent half a million dollars. I guess half a million isn't enough to just get the university to accept your cash. There is, there is a number though. I don't know what it is, but I did explain that. Cause like, I was always really confused about why the whole thing happened. I'm like, just buy a building, you know? I mean, I, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I mean, that's why the way I thought it worked. You don't want to get caught just buy a building. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you take care of it. And they talk about that. I'm glad they talked about that for me. Cause I'm like, this is stupid, but apparently they weren't quite rich enough for that. Yeah, I wasn't surprised when the whole scandal came out. I was like, why is everybody acting shocked? Maybe it was like the way that they did it. I don't know. But I wasn't shocked at all that people were buying their kids way into school. Yeah, they they didn't take the the right route this time around. They went the illegal route versus the legal route, which is just give the money to the college. Still shady, but yeah, it's not okay. Yeah, but it's not illegal. No. So, yeah, um, because that's on the Tasha's list for 2022. And I think I'm waiting in line. I don't remember what number I am because I think I put that on hold through the public library. So let's just talk about those lists. 
the Tayshaw's list and the Lone Star list, they are there are some good books on there. There are. I mean, there are there always are. But I'm really excited about a lot of the books that I saw uh, yeah. in the Maverick list. Yeah, I made a huge book order with a lot of that Maverick list because that is the easiest way for me to keep up with with what's new in graphic novels. Because I, you know, I will read them if someone points them out to me, but I don't necessarily for my own personal reading, like keep up with what's new. You know, I'll know what's coming out in a series, but there are a lot of really good standalone graphic novels and a lot of really important stories that can be told through graphic novel. And in fact, I'm going to bring up today a graphic novel that I read when I needed a little brain break in my novel novel um, that I'm talking about today. But, you know, I had a kid come in the other day and say, Miss Logan, I'm really enjoying the graphic novel and Frank's diary. I feel like that is a hard read. Yeah. You know, that book is a hard read. And I think I got the idea to order that from one of those lists. And again, this is a student who's able to enjoy a story and experience the story in a different manner. It's making it more accessible to her. So the list this year, I think so far from what I've seen and read are really, they're strong. Um, I think too, some years more than others. Yeah. I think graphic novels do something that I hadn't really considered. I mean, we always talk about, you know, as an English teacher, I was constantly trying to teach inference, right? But inference requires that you have a background. So you have to take what you already know, apply it to what's been given and then come up with, you know, what you've inferred. But if you don't have a, a lot of background knowledge, especially on a particular subject, it's difficult to infer. You, you don't make great inferences. Yeah. And with, with a graphic novel, you know, here are the pictures. Here's how you can really get a basic understanding of what's going on because you're able to see it. And then you apply the, the language in with it and you have a better, more rounded idea of what's going on. You know, that's like um, I always tell when I had a principal that questioned me having um, 13 reasons why. And I was like, you know, if you haven't experienced sexual assault or sexual harassment, you read that book differently than if you have experienced it, because when you've experienced it, then you understand, you really understand those characters in a different way. And if you haven't experienced it, then you're going to read it on a much more uh, surface level. You know, I argue that it's appropriate for our campus because if the kids experience it, then they see that other people have experienced it, you know, and that they're not alone in that. And then if they haven't experienced it, they're not reading it in the same in-depth way. Right. So I really love that graphic novels, they support the reader in a, in a different way, especially when it's something like World War II or any kind of atrocity, really, when it's hard to really comprehend it. And then you have these pictures that help support it. It gives them a better understanding. Like when you say somebody is you know, starving, we say starving all the time. My daughters, you would think they were dying every day. Yeah, I'm starving. I haven't eaten. I'm like, in two you're hours, hungry. You haven't eaten in two hours. You're not even really hungry. You know what I mean? Uh, but when you see those images that support that that language, they get a real idea of what starving looks like. You know, what, what is that author really saying when there's, when they say that they're skeletal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can I, can I go into my books? Is that cool? Absolutely. 
All right. So I wanted to bring up Snapdragon, which is a graphic novel by Cat Lay, who is one of the creators and illustrators of the Lumberjanes. And I have some of those. I have the novels. I've just ordered some of the graphic novels. I have a lot of kids that love them. One of my, I, every graphic novel that I've read this year is because my library aide who is in charge of shelving graphic novels, just will see some and pick them up and be like, you need to read this one now. And so I've read way more graphic novels this year. I think I need a little brain break in the middle of birdie and me. There was a tiny part of the book that I kind of thought was dragging and nothing was happening. And I was like, let me put this down for a little bit, read something quick and then come back to it just to see if I'm interested in it again. And so um, they told me to read Snapdragon. And the first thing that I had to ask, because the main character is on the cover and she's got hair that's kind of shaped like deer antlers. So I was like, is she a person or she's like, no, 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 that's just her hair. And I said, okay, it Snapdragon was weird and awesome. And the art in it is beautiful. And the artist gives like a description of the art creating process in the back of it. And it's about this potential witch that lives in town and Snapdragon. That's her name. They are named in their family after their mother's favorite flower. So that's why her name is Snapdragon. And she goes by Snap. She has a three-legged dog whose name is Good Boy, which <laughs> she <laughs> calls that. him GB. Too. <laughs> His name is Good Boy. The amount of just like diversity and acceptance that came into this particular graphic novel was amazing. I was even rereading the book list review towards the end of it is talking about the art. And it says, this is half a sentence, but it says her figure designs, which show a wide variety of gender presentations, body shapes, skin tones, and hair types nicely complement her character's personalities. And I just thought like, this is one of those, almost anybody could see at least a little bit of themselves somewhere in one of the characters of this book. And I, I I loved it. It was a really, I mean, I knocked it down in like 30 minutes, you know, (laughs) um, but it was a fantastic little brain break from birdie and me, which came out in 2020. I really loved it. I will say that this book is very middle school, like a high school student's probably not going to enjoy this book. But Birdie and Me follows two siblings, uh, Jack and Birdie. And Jack is about 12. She's the older sister. And Birdie is nine. And it's her little brother. And after their mother, who you get the idea that she was very nurturing and loving. And they had a lot of like inside family jokey kind of things with them. She passes away. And then the kids go to live with Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl is fantastic and accepting and loving because birdie is not a stereotypical little boy birdie likes to dress in leggings and he's got a hat that he puts on called his mad cap when he's mad he does like sparkles at times his favorite jacket is purple and that came from the mom bought it at a thrift store for for jackie but birdie fell in love with it and it became his um birdie is just not the most conventional child well Uncle Carl is very loving and nurturing and accepting of them. But what he's missing in the whole adult realm is like the responsibility. So they miss a lot of school. They eat honey buns for breakfast every day. The kids don't really know the last time they had a vegetable. You know, everything's kind of like junk food and fun, but he loves them and he lets them be who they truly are. 
because there's some issues with the kids not going to school, they end up going to live with Uncle Patrick, who they really don't even know because all the photos that they've seen in their family are mom and Uncle Carl. Patrick doesn't really fit in. Now, Patrick does have a lot of the the structure and the routine. And then this is how things are going to run that Uncle Carl didn't have. But they don't really love being there, not because they have to go to school, but just because especially Birdie doesn't feel um, like he can be his true authentic self with Uncle Patrick. Mm. So they end up trying to buy bus tickets and run away kind of like Darcy before we started recording. This is a little bit of something that's going to happen in your book too. Um, And they kind of get on all these other adventures along the way. And this book just says a lot about family dynamics and acceptance. And there's some, it touches on bullying. I mean, there's just so many things that I loved about it. And one of the favorite parts about it is that Jack is 12 years old and she is really busy trying to take care of everyone. And even like the back cover at the bottom, it says, while she's busy trying to look out for birdie and who's looking out for Jack. Because she's sort of taken too much of an adult role that young in life because she feels like she has to be in charge. She has to to make those adult decisions because their mom died because Uncle Carl doesn't really make great adult decisions because Uncle Patrick doesn't let them be who they are. She's really busy looking out for everyone else instead of enjoying a little bit of that, you know, being a child herself. Um, She has to grow up a little too fast. And I like that the book touches on that, too. So. It sounds like a close relationship uh, between the brother and sister. Yeah, for sure. They're there for each other a lot throughout the book. Yeah. And especially because after their mom died, they first went to live with a neighbor and then they went to Uncle Carl and then Uncle Patrick. You know, it's been the two of them for a little while now. Birdie, I mean, uh, Jack has sort of taken on this motherly role with Jack, uh, with Birdie. I'm sorry, but she's only really like three years older than him you know, and, and should still get to experience her youth. I just, I really loved it. There was a little while where I thought not a lot was happening, but then when I picked it back up, like they were buying bus tickets to run away back to like a page away from the action. (laughs) I know. Right. When you set it down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, on the back of the book, Ashley Herring Blake, who I love, she's one of my big author crushes. She gives it a really good review and says that it's a luminous debut. So Mm -hmm. that was, that was something else that drew, you know, dragged me to the book. I was like, well, Ashley Herring Blake liked it and I like everything she writes. So maybe I'll like this one too. I have a student that's reading all of her books right now. Ashley Herring Blake's. I do. I think a lot of our students can relate to that too. I have a lot of students who they're kind of like in the mix with their siblings and the parents are secondary or the guardians are secondary to that relationship that they have with their siblings. And they are responsible for each other and caretakers for each other. And I think that a lot of my students I know could identify with that. Yeah. And I think that's what I loved about it is it's something that definitely exists and we're all aware of it, but I can't really recall many books that really touch on that, you know? Well, I have a book that touches on that. Yes, you do. Yeah, I do. So I read uh, Tigers, Not Daughters by Samantha Mabry. And it's very similar uh, in a lot of ways. The mother has died. There are four sisters. They're called the Torres sisters. Um, Anna is the oldest. Uh, Well, actually, it's probably Anna. It's A-N-A. So Anna is the oldest. And then there is um, Iridian, Rosa. Rosa's the baby. 
and hold on what's the other I think is it Jessica yeah I read this book but I read it I don't know at least a year ago and I forget characters names as soon as okay, I so it's <laughs> Anna, Jessica Iridian and then Rosa and um the mother died during childbirth with Rosa so they have been without a mom for quite a few years at this point Anna has when the book opens Anna has just graduated from high school or is about to graduate from high school, actually, whenever it opens. And the four girls are escaping out the window. I love the description of the escape. By the way, this takes place in San Antonio, Texas. So um, I especially love that. I've spent a lot of time in San Antonio. I love that I kind of knew where they were, uh, you know, in the description of the book. I love how it almost feels like they knew exactly how to get in that tree and go, you know what I mean? Like they did because Anna knew exactly what she was doing. This was not her first time. Okay. So they have, are they attempting to make their escape and they are unwittingly held up by some boys who would have helped them if they had known what was going on, but they just meant to follow the girls. And I love how there's like this kind of a chorus of boys that are across the street that watch everything that Anna is doing in that window. Okay. They are huge fans of Anna as much of the town is, and she's gorgeous and, and kind of full of life. And so they attempt to follow them, but because they left the house to follow them, the dad also finds out that the girls have escaped. So their escape is thwarted. They're brought back home. Not too long after that, Anna, in an attempt to flee one night, has a huge accident and um, Anna dies very early in the book. And then we catch up with the three sisters just one year later. And the story really takes place over about like 10 days with the sisters. And I'm telling you, after Anna has died, everything has fallen apart in that house. The father is miserable. He has completely fallen apart. Anna had kind of taken the role of caregiver, momish to the three younger sisters. She was definitely their leader. She's gone. The three girls are trying to hold it together, but they're not doing a great job, honestly. And I have to say the relationships in this this story they're beautiful but they're very they're developed in like very unconventional ways and it's not something where you look at it and you say oh i love this girl because she's blah 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 like they're not very lovable characters but that's because they are so entrenched in their grief right and they're all just trying in their own ways to just make it they're just trying to survive and they're trying to basically keep their father alive too, because he is not doing well. They're all, they're just fractured. They're in pain. There are some really surprising developments with the relationships that I appreciated throughout the story. There's also this supernatural magical realism thread that comes into the story uh, a little bit later on. It takes a few chapters before you get there. It was very unexpected for me. Same. Um, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. I love it. It's not something that I would pick up because I feel like I've had spirits with me in every house I've ever lived in. So I experienced it enough in my life that I typically don't read about it. But I'm I really, really enjoyed it in this book. I loved the way that 
it affected the sisters in different ways. It kind of influenced some of their choices. And you see one sister, like one sister completely introverts. Like I'm talking like she's just completely inside of herself. One sister is trying to find the magical element within her that her sister saw. And then one of them, she's just the choices she makes. I'm telling you, I can't tell you about it, but when you read it and then you read about who this other person was to Anna and you discover that connection, you will be flabbergasted because it is so unexpected and even more heartbreaking because, you know, she's just trying to be her sister. Like she's just trying to completely envelop who she was. And, and it's interesting, like in the writing, the author's like on a skirt's always too big and the shirt's not quite the right size. And like, she's trying to fill this really big persona and she's just not there. She's not enough. Right. Um, so she's, and she's not really developing herself individually. She's just trying to be Anna. Um, Anyway, there's just, there's a lot of pain, but there's also some growth and um, there's some interesting relationships there. I loved it. I think, I, I really think anybody would enjoy it. Now, I will say I have it in the intermediate school. The critics support it being here for eighth grade. There is a lot of language. There is, um, some allusions to like sexual activity, but it's definitely not on page or anything like that. But I would say I do have a little warning uh, that pops up when you go to check this book out, just letting kids know that there's some real language in this book, but it's doesn't feel forced in any way. Like when they use it, you understand why they use it. I enjoyed that book. I, had to read it when I was on the spot committee, the spirit of Texas, Mm -hmm. um, because it was a book that was in consideration. It honestly is probably not a book that I would have picked up on my own. I don't even know if it would have been on my radar in the first place. Right. But I, I did enjoy it once I picked it up and started looking at it. Of course, you know, everyone's dying at the beginning and you're like, okay, well, where's this going? But I I liked it. It's been a little while since I've read it. But once you mentioned that um, there's something unexpected and I was like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, yes. It's very good. It's, it was quite a turn when I got to that point, I was like, ooh, you know what I mean? But you just know, she's trying to be her sister in everything that she does, you know, and now she's trying to be a caretaker and like, she wants to be a leader And it's interesting. There's a line in there that, you know, like Anna was their leader and no one is capable of leading at this point, you know, like they just, they're not developed in that way. And, and the middle sister who just Iridian, who, um, she just reads and like through the whole book, she's just eating chocolate cocoa puffs, you know, like she's just barely making it through and something happens even upstairs and like her room had been her sanctuary and then that's taken from her too it's very very good i think um it's hard to talk about and it's hard to explain i guess why i loved it because there are some parts that are just really really difficult because there is so much grief but i don't feel sad reading it i feel hopeful that they'll 
figure it out, you know, and that they can come out of it on, on the other end, not better for what's happened, but just finding their, their own place and, and who they are without their sister. I think it sounds like an important book for people who are in that kind of situation that it really could be a mirror for some, some people who have lost important loved ones. Um, you know, there's, everybody has their role in a family. Right. And when you lose someone who has such an, a significant role that dominates the family like that, it really puts everyone else into a tailspin. So I can see that that book would be great for some, especially for some kids who have those kinds of losses in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it wasn't, the author could have, it could have been a mother and da- and father together that have lost their daughter. But the fact that the mother was gone completely changes the importance of Anna leaving too. Like you've already, you're already a fractured family in this way. And then you've lost this other person that has in some ways been a mother figure to her little sisters, you know, it was, you know, it, there's a lot of symbolism in the book too. And I feel like it's not very often that I read a book and I'm like, mm, symbolism, <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm reading so much realistic fiction. I don't know, but there was definite points where I was like, mm, that's very symbolic. <laughs> and I, and I appreciated that because I feel like sometimes like when I taught AP English and we were trying to find newer books, you know, but you have to meet these certain criteria with AP, you know, and like there may be a question about symbolism and there may be a question about the setting as a, um, a secondary character and blah, blah, whatever, you know, and they're like, well, where, where can I find that? This, this would work. This would work in an AP class for talking about um, symbolism and relationships and, and character development and development in a different way where they aren't necessarily getting better too, which is Uh, interesting to read. They're kind of falling apart, if you will. Well, I don't have a good segue into my book. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is science fiction. Okay. So your one and only is about clones that live on earth because the humans have been killed by something called the long plague. And over the course of 30 years, this plague killed every human on earth. But because it was slow and that they knew it was coming, the scientists of the world and the leaders, whoever they were, sent a group of people into the rainforest where there were mountains and cave systems. And they sent all of the artifacts of the earth that they wanted to preserve art, music, science, technology, all of those things into the caves. And the team of scientists that was there was developing a they were making clones they made clones of themselves so there were 10 scientists and originally there were 10 clones at some point in the story uh, you realize there are only nine clones now which they don't explain for a while but eventually you 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 learn why that's true and there are five girl clones and four boy clones and they make a new batch of clones every 10 years. So there's, uh, you know, there's a batch of 10 Althea clones, and there's Althea 310, Althea 311, Althea 312, and so on. And so what you have is a community of 
it, let's say if we're just talking about the Althea clones, there's 10 Althea clones and they are there are 10 that are 30 years old and there are 10 that are 40 years old and there are 10 that are 50 years old. And so they just keep each 10 years, they, they make new clones, one of each or 10 of each type. And they know how to do gene editing. So they, these clones are editing their genes. And so this takes place 300 years in the future is when the story opens and the only uh, human-ish people left on the earth are these clones and they're in this community in the rainforest and they're, they've actually got three communities right in sort of in that area and they're all the same they all keep breeding these clones and they're at a place now where the gene pool is starting to disintegrate and defray so they decide to make this 10th clone they take human genome and make this 10th clone one more time. His name is Jack and he, they raise him as a human. And so one of the clones, Iris and, uh, uh, and another one, there are two, a male and a female clone that go outside the walls of the city and they raise Jack as best they can in the way a human would be raised. And it's, it's kind of interesting because the mother dies of course, early or the one, the clone that he called mother, died early and so the the clone that he called father who doesn't really know how to be a father because they've one of the gene editings they've done is they've removed emotion from the clones so there's no feeling of caring really for each other but they do commune and so what that means is all the althea clones can feel what each other are feeling not read minds or anything like that, but just they can feel each other's emotions and they call it communing. So that's how they can communicate those kinds of things. But Jack is outside of that because he's an only. And he does, so he doesn't have anyone to commune with. He feels like an outsider always because he's being raised as a human and not in the clone community. And when he's about 10 years old, his, the, the clone that's acting as his father, his name's Samuel, Samuel, takes him into the clone community and tries to put him in school with the other clones and the other clones are merciless because he's different and they don't like different. Everyone should be the same. That's the way they are. Everyone should look the same. Everyone should be the same. You should be the same as your clones. You cannot be an only that's not right. Well, there's this one when you're raised in a community of clones, you would grow up with that mentality, Right. right? So there's this one girl, one clone, Althea 310, who has a scar on her wrist because and they're when they're when they're making new clones, they're doing them in tanks, not through human sexuality. So she somehow didn't have a hand and they grew her new hand. So she's got an, a, a scar on her wrist. So from the beginning, she you sort of see her journey where she when they're first picking on him at school, she's like but I'm different, you know, and um, you sort of see her journey moving from everybody needs to be the same. We all need to speak the same. We all need to think the same. We all need to look the same to recognizing that Jack has something different because he's an individual rather than a clone. And so it's a good story. And it's a, it's um, you know, there's a little bit of a romantic interest and there's a protest. There's an evil person, which I won't tell you about to spoil the story, 
it, it's pretty good. It's an inter- It brings up a lot of questions about gene editing and how you can go too far and remove things that are important and how life changes socially when you remove these things that we have as humans, even our flaw, especially our flaws, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was good. I enjoyed it. It was, I would say, a YA novel. I wouldn't say, I didn't think it had enough depth to make it in the adult world, but I did, um, I did enjoy it. Now, here's what I really want to say. I Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I, I think the author wrote a good novel. I don't, want to, I don't want to dog her novel, but I think she missed an amazing opportunity because the whole idea of the slow plague that takes out the human race over the course of 30 years and what the human race does about that and while they try to put people in the cave, you know, they try to put all the stuff in the caves for future generations and they develop these clones that they gene edited. The problem with the slow plague is it hits everybody differently because of some gene mutation thing going on. And so they, so everybody dies of different things, but it's all because of this slow plague. And so they start developing these diseases that are, that are terminal and the, the scientists edited out of their gene, whatever it was that was catching the slow plague. So that's how they thought this, this group of people was going to survive. But their intention for the clones was for them to pair up and repopulate the earth the normal way. Okay. And so at, through the course of the story, you learn why it didn't happen that way. And there's a little bit of evil going on and some strange things, but I think I, I read this book and I kept thinking this would make a great science fiction series, you know, <laughs> at the beginning of the series, you know, the first book in the series, they learn about the slow plague and they're trying to figure out what to do and everybody's dying. And, you know, and then in the next book, they, they just, they did they figure out how to do the clones and they're bringing all the artwork in and all of that stuff. And, and the third book is when the, when the, originals they're called the originals that when the originals eventually die off and then the clones start taking over their own existence and i just i really thought this author's backstory for this book was way better than the book itself and i thought it had amazing potential for a science fiction author to do something with more depth than a YA book typically has. And I I think she totally missed an opportunity for an amazing sci-fi series. I was describing it to my husband, who is a big science fiction reader. And he's like, I want to read that. I want to read that. And I was like, well, I'll give it to you, but I'm not sure you want to read it (laughs) because it doesn't have the depth you're used to for an adult book. And um, I really, I'm sad that now, I mean, another author really can't pick that up and take it, you know, maybe I'll write her a letter and say, hey, how about a, a prequel? Well, could she do like you know? a prequel series? <laughs> yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, maybe I'll make, why don't you do a prequel and tell us how this all happened? But, you know, there's a, there is a difference between YA novels and adult novels with regard to depth. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and so, you know, I think this would make a great adult science fiction series it's funny when i read adult novels i'm like oh yeah you can put this in a book you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and especially right now with all of our crazy covid world that mutates all the yeah. time right 
So, you know, I can totally picture this kind of thing being the real, very real end of the human race on this earth. I was thinking while you were describing the book, you were talking about this plague in 30 years. And I was like, 30 years, huh? Okay. Is that like (laughs) that indicative of where we are? It's got a clever title, though. I like it. Yes. Well, yeah, it plays into the book, right? Yeah. Because he's an only. Yeah. I thought that was clever. (laughs) Yeah. I liked it. It's a, did you say it's a series? I'm sorry. Not, not a series that I'm aware of. Okay. And Shirley's mind is a series. And my mind is a series. The prequel, (laughs) the backstory is a series. When the prequel comes out, it will be a series, a duology. I hope so. Because it'll be on the sci fi channel. Yeah. Yeah, She's going to write some fanfic for it. So stay tuned. That's right. Um, so my book is actually historical fiction and set up <laughs> in the future. Wow. So um, my is book it also was an adventure, though. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't know. No. A horse and a everything buggy. is an adventure. Everything. Wow. It actually on the uh, classifications on Tidal Wave, the second one is adventure. There you now, go. I would not put it in adventure, but tidal wave did put it in adventure so just saying so it's called beyond the map stars and it follows the main character her name is elizabeth bertlinson but in the tidal wave says school library journal says her name is rachel and i read that i was like no it's not the author are you talking about yeah, the it says 17 year old Rachel is a Mormon. I'm like, nope. The whole time you read the book, though, it was Elizabeth. Yep. Well, let's go with Elizabeth. Okay. Yeah, it's Elizabeth. Let's go with that. I just thought it was weird because I'm like, I don't know where they got that. Maybe there's just a lot of main characters in that person's book. Maybe that That's person fine. was reviewing a lot of books that day. A lot of books. Yeah. I mean, we do. Rachel that, right? sounds like a good name. If your name's going to be it Elizabeth, does. Rachel sounds like it could, that could be awesome. Yeah, like, you know, it's, maybe that's a good Mormon if name. Sarah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so she is Mormon in Utah in 1878. She's living with her family. Um, her dad does have two wives. Um, her uh, mom isn't a huge fan of this system as one might imagine or as i would imagine uh she has i don't know seven siblings i don't know it was a lot and um she as the second oldest daughter is now the oldest in the home and doing most of the child raising um because the oldest one has already been married and is now living out of the house. Her mom is already talking about her marrying as a second wife um, to an older man in the village. And she's like, no, that that cannot be me. That's not going to work out. She has always dreamt of being an astronomer. One fault I had with this is that they never really said where she gained all of the knowledge she currently had. Like, yeah, is um, she homeschooled she, or does she go to school? 
um, she doesn't go to school. Okay. She's homeschooled. Oh, that's like, right. 1800. Sorry. Not modern. Yeah. And she like helps her younger brothers and sisters like form their letters and stuff like that. Um, but like, so throughout the book, she discusses with um, very scholarly people, her large knowledge on astro- astronomy, not astrology. That would be different. <laughs> very different. Um, very different thing. And She's like, I'm um, a double Taurus. Y'all don't yeah. even understand. <laughs> But they didn't really say, like, where did she get her large amount of book knowledge without any books? I was a little bit confused on that, but that's okay. It was still a very interesting book because she does go out and kind of seize the day. Her older sister does need care, and so she kind of says, oh, I'm going to go help. So even without any idea how she's going to do that, she leaves and um, sets sets off into, there is a young gentleman in the village, I don't know, town, village thing, and his sister are going into like Wyoming or Denver area. And then, so she kind of gets a ride part of the way kind of thing and then she has to go on a train by herself and she has to promise her parents that you know she will never sit by a gentleman by herself you know you can imagine these kind of rules um, like they might not even would have had of her doing that in the first place yeah kind of but so she sets off on this journey by um, herself to take care of her sister when she's going to have a baby. She meets along the way a brother and a sister who are actually in the first class car and they're African American and they are very well off, obviously, than the first class car, but they make friends with her very quickly. And I think they also, they definitely talk on that it would be hard, it's hard for them in uh, that time to be, you know, held up in the society because even though they're wealthy, they're still African-American. And so there's still this problem. But I feel like they would have had more of a problem than the author is saying they would have. I felt like there would have been more struggle there than the, yeah. than the author was like, yeah, you know, it was hard for them. And I'm like, well, at least they're out. Well, ah. that's a, say, a bit of a saving grace. Yes. Uh, at that time period. Yes. So their grandfather had moved to Denver and opened a hotel that was that did very well. And so they were the benefits of that. And now they're wealthy. Mm-hmm. So but they like they get held up on the train. And so they they have all these adventures and she does get to finally meet some actual astronomers and so that's where you realize wow like how does she know so much about this that's where my whole how how it's interesting that you're bringing that up because as soon as you said that I was like 
how does a girl from a Mormon family in the middle of Utah, I, I'm always astounded, honestly, by what people know in the 1800s. Uh, in New, yeah, like you could you can't just well, not everybody even had encyclopedias, you know, right. But um, and they definitely don't have what we have or we can just access information all day long. But it's just phenomenal to me. Like you think about people that created maps like in the 1600s or, or even earlier than that. Like, how is that even possible? Like, how did they figure that all yeah, out? Someone had to figure it out for us to have the thing that we have, you know, yeah, like I. so the main um, struggle of the book is within herself like does she have to choose between her faith and her science um she often does pray within the book and tries to decide like what god wants her to do with herself does she need to go back to the village and be the dutiful wife that her village seems to think she should be or can she go and live with the other women that she comes across that are scientists all like go to Vassar and can she, or should she go and do that path? So those are kind of her dilemmas, her interior and more her interior, internal, internal. Yeah, internal dilemmas are, I think, more of a struggle for her than like the train robbery and right. But also in that time period, I mean, how many women legitimately would have had that internal struggle of wanting to break the mold and doing something a little bit different than what society either expects them to do or trains them to do, you know, obviously like our first few women scientists had to come from somewhere and a lot of it did probably have to, you have that internal monologue of, do I do what's One, expected of me or do I follow my heart, my gut and do the thing that I'm really genuinely interested in, even though it might be frowned upon. And she does end up, I mean, obviously I don't think this is going to spoil anything. She likes the boy that she rides out West with like, you know, obviously the cute boy um, is going to be a factor in the whole thing. Um, and so does she have to choose between him or astronomy, that kind of thing? I think women today still struggle with uh, that. Yeah, obviously. You know, also, like, um, go ahead. One of the points that I thought was important was that one of the other girls from Vassar said, we are pioneers in this industry and we hold up this industry. Mm -hmm. And so because we are starting this out, we are responsible for how all others feel about women in this field. So like if we do poorly in this, then that's how they will think all women will do in this. And I think I that's the struggle of any minority in any in any realm, right? Like you are then the um, spokesperson for your entire whatever it is, you know, the whatever face of your group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you, I you, thought that was interesting. Every mistake is so huge, you know. You don't get to just you don't have the the privilege of just 
you individually independently made a mistake or miscalculated or something, it's indicative of your entire race or your entire gender or your entire, you know. Yeah. And you can't even be mediocre. Right. You know, like if you're going to be like, you know, a first woman who does something or, for you know, whatever, like you can't be mediocre either because you've got something to prove because you have now been the face. I think it's interesting, too. You're talking about a family that has two women, right? Two wives and the eldest daughter and now the second eldest daughter is still responsible for taking care of the children. Yes. And. The mother I, seems to have some sort of mental illness type thing. Like she seems to have bad times, I think mm-hmm. is the way they looked at it or called it. So like some interesting dynamics going on in the book. Yeah. And I think it gets lots of good reviews on Goodreads. And I think that's because of the historical aspect. I don't think it's covered very often. And this is based loosely, it seems, on the author's backstory of her historical family in Utah. It sounds like something I would read as a historical fiction lover, but I really want to branch out this time. And I'm glad that I did. Uh, Tigers on Dollars was fantastic. I do recommend it. Honestly, definitely for high school, for eighth grade. I think you all should try give it a try. I know Aaron's already read it, but <clears throat> I, I thought it was um, there was a lot of stuff in there that I I thought was unexpected, you know, which is pretty cool. Yes, because it's not 100 percent realistic fiction like what you're expecting. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the beyond the mapped stars definitely counts as clean fiction, but it's also I would count it more as historical fiction. You've been digging those clean fictions lately. Yeah. Well, somebody said, is that clean fiction? And I was like, I mean, yes. (laughs) Well, y'all, this was a really fantastic episode. I think we've got some good books to think about and maybe give some people ideas for some things to read over their their holiday breaks here that we've got probably a little extra reading time coming up. I think, too, we need to remind people, if you are interested in the books that we are talking about, make sure that you go and check out our website. Just type in The Unshushed Librarians uh, on Google, and it'll bring up our website. And we have all of our books there. They're all organized by uh, seasons and episodes. Very easy to navigate. And then also we have all of our books on Goodreads. And as soon as the episodes are over, we update um, the Goodreads list. So that's another great way to see what books we've recommended and to have them in order. And then because they're in order um, on our website, you can easily go and listen to that specific episode if you want to listen to what we thought about a particular book. All right, y'all. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. And I hope y'all have a great holiday break. All right. See you next time. Next year. Next year.